Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Minter, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today is Michael Langemeyer, Professor of Ag Economics here at Purdue. We're going to review the results from the April Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of farmers from across the nation. Each month, we survey 400 farmers across the U.S. to learn more about their perspective on the ag economy. This month's Ag Barometer Survey was conducted from the 19th through the 23rd of April. And the Ag Economy Barometer strengthened, but just marginally this month, where it rose to a reading of 178. That's really only up one point compared to a month earlier. So really, um, from a practical perspective, really no change. But if you look under the hood a little bit, Michael, uh, we did see some change. That index of current condition actually softened a little bit to a reading of 195. That was down seven points compared to a month earlier. And the index of future expectations actually rose five points to a reading of 169. That's up from 164 a month earlier. What do you make of that uh, kind of turnaround there with that, that kind of softening in that uh, current condition index and the strengthening in the future expectation index? It certainly surprised me. And, and really, from a current condition standpoint, we really had mixed signals uh, in several of the questions that, that we asked this month and we asked routinely every month. And uh, you're like, uh, we're going to get into the Farm Capital Investment Index. It was down a little bit, but we looked at the Financial Performance Index. It was up. Uh, certainly short-term land values were, were up. And so, and so it, this is really curious. Uh, I just, I just summarize it by saying we had mixed signals uh, with regard to current conditions. And then, and then uh, we also have some weather issues out there. Uh, and so there, I think there's just a lot of uncertainty right now on how this year is going to play out. That's, that's a good point. And, you know, you mentioned the capital investment index. It did weaken to a reading of 75 down from 88 last month. And I, I caution to point out that is substantially stronger than it was this time last year. This time last year, that index was all the way down 38. So a 75 reading is still pretty positive. In fact, if you look at the history of this index going back to the fall of 2015, when we started collecting data for the barometer, there was only one other month, and that was in the fall of 15 when the index was at 75. So when you look at the long history, that's one of the most positive investment index readings we've had. If you look at the last two, two or three months, uh, the weakness in that index is a little bit, uh, uh, I guess I'd call it unexpected. I don't think either one of us were expecting that before we collected this month's data, right? Definitely unexpected. It'll be curious to see whether the, what this does next fall as you get a little closer to making end-of-the-year uh, capital investments. You know, one of the things I wonder about is how much of this might have been attributable to concerns people have about buildings versus farm machinery. And, you know, one of the things we're hearing throughout the U.S. is that it's difficult to line up uh, supplies, the contractors, et cetera, the cost is up uh, across the board to put up any kind of a building. And of course, the capital investment index, the way that question is phrased, it's focusing on buildings and equipment. And I wonder if we're kind of picking up some issues with respect to buildings versus equipment, because, you know, if you look at uh, the, the question that we asked people about farm machinery, uh, that was actually more positive this month. So 14% of the people in the survey said they plan to increase their farm machinery purchases. That's up from 11%. A month ago, it's up from nine percent two months ago. So, um, it almost matches the peak we had back in December and January, which was at fifteen percent. So, I kind of wonder. I mean, we can't really tell from the survey for sure, but I kind of wonder if there's a difference here in terms of how people are interpreting buildings 
versus farm machinery. Positive that's about an, farm that's machinery. That's an excellent point. And I think also there's, there's, there is some upward pressure on machinery, particularly used machinery. And so I wonder if that's not also uh, playing a factor. Yeah, it could be, although they're still saying, when I look at the percentage of people plan to increase their purchases, that tells me that they're yeah. willing to deal with the prices. Um, but yeah, it, those are those are both good points. Well, you mentioned also the Farm Financial Performance Index and the fact that you know that was really positive this month, reading of 138, that's up 13 points compared to a month earlier, record high for that index. Um, normally, I would expect that to be highly correlated with that current condition index. And for some reason, we got a little bit of a divergence there, right? Yeah, it usually is it very correlated with, with the current conditions index. So some divergence this month. And, and it's interesting to point out that a 50%, we've never had that level uh, level before, but 50% thought that, that 2021 was better than 2020. Which is interesting because, you know, coming into this year, we were looking at the USDA forecast. Um, they were actually forecasting farm income in the aggregate to be somewhat lower than 2020 and largely because of an expectation for lower government payments. What's taken place over these last several months though has been this boom in commodity prices, uh, whether you're looking at corn, soybeans, uh, wheat, um, hogs have really uh, taken off here. I mean, kind of the one that's not being affected in a positive way is, is the livestock side of cattle. Um, but nevertheless, a lot of strength out there and that's boosting these income expectations. Uh, farmland, people continue to be very bullish about farmland. The short-term farmland value index up uh, 11 points to 159. Uh, that's, you know, last month, 148. Again, if you go back and compare to this time last year, that index was at 72. So a phenomenal turnaround. And we're, you know, the reports we're picking up on farmland sales this uh late winter and early spring timeframe have all been extremely positive. I mean, the percentage increases uh, probably the largest percentage increases we've seen in a, on a short-term kind of a basis, truthfully, uh, going back for uh, at least a decade, right? Well, probably 2013, 2012, 2013 is what, uh, you know, since we've seen seen as much optimism with regarding uh, land values. And, and, and also, I wanted to point out that almost two-thirds of those surveyed thought that uh, land values were going to increase in 2021. And and that it's substantially higher than even what it was in January. I mean, this index has really climbed. And it's it's really climbing in lockstep with what's taking place in the commodity markets. Definitely. I mean, just being reflected almost uh, point for point, it seems like. So the interesting thing about the farmland values was when we asked the other question, the longer term question, which asked people to think about what's going to happen over the next five years, we actually got some weakness that index actually fell to 148 from 157. And I think part of this speaks to what you said earlier, which is uncertainty, right? This reflects the uncertainty. In the short run, really positive, really bullish. Longer run, people are a little more skittish about what's taking place or what could take place, I guess is how I uh, interpret that. Yeah, we go back to some of the things we talked about earlier. You know, the weather uncertainty. I mean, the, the prices have been quite volatile. If you look at futures prices uh, uh, for, for November, December timeframe uh, in, in 2021 and even going to 2022. And, and I, I think that just it just creates some uncertainty and people are a little less optimistic uh, in terms of uh, long-term land value increases. 
And, and I guess my interpretation of this, Michael, is that when, it, when I contrast these two, the short-term versus the long-term index, to me, this kind of speaks to the idea that people are saying, well, these prices in the short run are really positive. They're really, you know, very strong bidding activity, et cetera. Limited supply coming to market, that's a factor as well. Longer term, they're kind of saying, is this really sustainable? Yeah. And I, I, I think they're kind of questioning the long-term sustainability of the big rise we've seen over these last uh, roughly six months or so. Yes, definitely. And if we don't ask the question directly related to financial performance five years from now, but I, but I would guess that there would be less optimism, certainly less optimism, if you ask them about financial performance five years from now compared to 2021. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting time. And I guess the other thing, we'll talk about this and maybe some future surveys. You know, the other consideration here is what's going on with inflation and what the inflation expectations are. Lots of discussion about inflation uh, relative to the expansion of the money supply, uh, expansion of, of the federal deficit, et cetera. And what are the implications of that from a longer term perspective? And you know, historically, when people get worried about inflation, they start thinking about hard assets like farmland. So I think that's going to be a consideration down the road. But we didn't really pick that up this month in terms of that long term index, but maybe that could show up um, down the road. Well, there's been lots of discussions in Washington about changing tax policy. I mean, there's almost too many proposals uh, to count, I suppose. But uh, in light of that, though, we did ask several questions of the respondents to this month's survey about their perspective on tax policy. And 87% uh, of the people in our survey said they expect to see capital gains tax rates rise over the next five years. Uh, Three-fourths of the people in the survey said they are very concerned about a possible loss of the step-up in cost basis for farmland and inherited estates. Uh, a little over two-thirds, 68% of the producers in our survey, said they are very concerned about a possible reduction in the estate tax exemption for inherited estates. And then the last question we asked was, we asked people point blank, how concerned are they that changes in estate tax policy uh, by Congress will make it more difficult to pass your farm on to the next generation of farmers and your family. And this one was really overwhelming. 95% of the people in the survey said that they are either somewhat concerned or very concerned. And that was mostly very concerned. 82% said they were very concerned. This is going to make it more difficult to pass their farm on to the next generation of farmers and the family. What do you take about all this? Uh, all the responses to the tax questions, Michael? I was not really surprised that, that people were very concerned about these issues. Uh, I was a little surprised that the step up in basis was only 75% were concerned about that. I thought that would be higher than that, but obviously 75% is the vast majority. And so maybe I shouldn't have been too surprised at that one. Well, I think one thing to keep in mind there, Michael, when you say, when you start talking about step up and basis, the first thing is you have to actually know enough about tax policy to know what that means. And I suspect it, some of our respondents, if they haven't been through an estate settlement in recent years, or maybe some explicit estate planning, they might not fully know what, what the step up and basis is and exactly how it works. And I suspect that was probably true for some yeah, of that, the folks. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, both of us have, have went through that recently in estates that we're involved in. And so we're, we're very familiar with it as economists, but also personally. And so, yeah, you're, that's a very good point. 
Um, there's also been a lot of interest in, in the broader population about the percentage of people that are not planning to get vaccinated for COVID. Um, and so we decided to ask uh, some questions on this. We've really been asking questions about this going back to last fall. Uh, but I thought it'd be interesting to compare the results that we've received over recent months to some of the broader surveys of all U.S. adults. And so to kind of set the stage, Pew Research, which does lots and lots of polling, um, in February, they did a poll of all U.S. adults um, designed to capture the results for all U.S. adults. Their survey said 30% of U.S. adults either probably or definitely would not get a COVID vaccine. Uh, Monmouth University, which also does a lot of polling, uh, in, a, in a polls that they did each month, January, February, and March, if you look at their results, 21 to 24% of U.S. adults will, quote, likely never get the vaccine. Uh, that was the phrasing they used in their question. So then you compare that to our results going back to January. So January through April, um, 28 to 32% of commercial ag producers, depending on which month you look at in the survey, are telling us they do not plan to get vaccinated. And um, I'm interested to hear your take on that. My take is that that suggests that the ag producer community is really not much different than the broader population of U.S. adults. Is that consistent very with what consistent you think? Very consistent with my take on that. You know, it, it very consistent, with, obviously, with the Pew, Pew, Pew Research Center poll. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. I guess, you know, we're, we're seeing lots of information on this almost on a daily basis. And a lot of the polls are trying to slice um, a small segment or a small subset of the U.S. population, and, and you're getting various rates. But when you compare ag producers to the broader population of, of all U.S. adults, it looks to me like we're very much in the ballpark. Um, really no, no big difference there. And I guess uh, for our listeners to, to think about the broader context of that question going back to last fall, we did see a change, especially in the percentage of people that plan to get vaccinated around the first of the year. Last fall, there were fewer people that said they planned to get vaccinated as soon as possible. Once vaccines started rolling out, and I guess working well, or at least without any serious problems here in the U.S., we did see an increase in the percentage of people saying they wanted to get vaccinated as soon as possible. And those numbers have been pretty consistent, too, for the last, uh, uh, really the last four months, so we haven't seen much change here. Uh, finally, I, uh, the last thing I want to mention today is... Um, you know, we, we asked this question, I think, last summer, and we decided to bring it back here for the last couple of months to learn more about people's perspective about attending in-person events. So the question we asked was, are you more or less likely to attend in-person field days, workshops, or other educational programs this year than in 2020? And um, I was a little surprised at these results. So we've got two months worth of results. Um, depending on the month, I think in March, 35% and in April, 28% said that they were less likely to attend in-person events this year than last year. And, uh, you know, I didn't expect that to be zero, but I didn't, I didn't think it would be in the ballpark of 30% or so of, of people in the survey. What did you think? Yes, I, I was a little surprised at that myself, but I think these results really point to the fact that if, if someone is, is delivering programs uh, to, to, to the general, you know, the general public, like we do in extension, 
I think you need to do both types of programs. Uh, there's there's uh, there is some demand for in-person in in-person events. That's certainly the case, but there's also demand to continue to do online programs. I that's what I that's kind of my take home uh, from these results. Yeah, I agree with that, Michael. And and uh, you know I emphasized the, the the portion of the survey that said they were less likely to attend. The flip side of that is. Uh, between two thirds and a little over 70% of the people in the survey said they are more likely to attend in-person events. So it does suggest uh, that there is a, a very strong interest in attending in-person events, but that less likely to attend group, as you point out, is, is large enough to say, you can't forget about the fact that there's gonna be a need to still deliver programs, for example, online um, in some kind of a hybrid format or some kind of a virtual format. So. It suggests that some of the changes we've seen over the last year are probably going to continue with us, uh, perhaps indefinitely, right? And then the last one, uh, Michael, is uh, one that we don't always talk about, but I thought it'd be useful or interesting this month. Um, at the end of every survey, we give the response to the survey an open-ended question and just ask them, you know, tell us what's on your mind. And we get lots and lots of comments. And... Uh, you always spend some time kind of trying to interpret that and distill that down a little bit into what you call a word cloud. I'll let you explain that. This is more difficult this, this month than it has been in the past. Typically, we do, do the word cloud. There's one or two words that really stick out. For example, regulation, uh, you know, stuck out, you know, it's very, very strong uh, in November, December last year. You know, we did it in April here. There's about five, six words that, that, that stick out. And so it's not one or two. Politics, taxes, inputs, policy, trade, weather. Uh, there's just a lot of factors that are that are in this word cloud, and and, and to me, and maybe I'm interpreting too much here. Uh, that 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 leads me to believe that there's quite a bit of uncertainty out there. Uh, yeah, there really is, and and I guess issues rise up. There's concern out there. Uh, you know, there's 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 concern out there about the uncertainty. In the policy environment, but also, you know, due to the, you know, because of the weather uh, we're currently seeing in, in in crop agriculture. Yeah, that's a good point, and I guess for our listeners that you know, we're kind of describing a chart here. So politics was one of the largest, but taxes came right behind it, or very very close. Inputs, reflecting, I think, this rise in input costs that we've seen recently over the course of the winter, um, showed up at big time this month. Trade is no surprise. That's been a large one for a long time. And then as you pointed out, weather has really kind of crept in there, um, uh, reflecting, I think, concerns people have about uh, especially dry conditions around the US. Um, obviously, we've been dry for some time in the western part of the US, but now we've got concerns, particularly in the northwest part of the Corn Belt, and even to some extent here in the eastern Corn Belt, right? So um, that, I think, probably gets at the distinction we've seen in, in some of the other uh, areas of the survey with respect to some puzzling results, it really does reflect there's a lot of things that are on people's minds. And depending on how much weight they attach to one of those factors might influence how they respond to some of the other questions. But there's uh, more diversity with respect to big ticket issues uh, showing up, I guess, on this month's survey than maybe we've seen for quite some time. Well, that kind of wraps up our discussion of this month's uh, Economy Barometer Survey. Uh, the full report is available on the Ag Economy Barometer website, purdue.edu slash agbarometer. 
Um, and I'd encourage our listeners to think about it, joining us for our next corn and soybean outlook webinar. Those have been very interesting this winter and spring, so uh, it's going to continue that way, I suspect, for a while. That'll be coming up following the release of USDA's May WASD report. So that webinar will be on Friday, May 14th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And of course, uh, if that time is inconvenient for you, you can pick it up on YouTube. Uh, we have it posted out there pretty soon after the webinar, so you can go to our YouTube channel and check it out there. If you register for the webinar, you get reminders uh, with links and, and also reminders when the uh, video is posted on YouTube. So with that, uh, you know, I want to thank my colleague, Michael Langemeyer, for joining me today. And on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minter. Thanks.